This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Matt, our card for this week is Paul Nochi, Chicago Cubs, second baseman, shortstop, number 542. 542, Paul Nochi. Okay, I'm checking him out on the Jumbotron here. This was a suggestion on Twitter from Brian Salgado, El Salgado Media on Twitter. When I initially saw this name, Paul Nochi, uh, requested, I said, oh, the Cubs catcher? Only to realize I was thinking of the wrong short-lived Cubs player. I was thinking of Rick Rona, who has an unfortunate name for 2020. Sorry, Rick Rona, the catcher of the Rona. Uh, this is not the year for that. Paul Nochi, second baseman, shortstop, not a catcher. Paul had a relatively short major league career, but an interesting minor league card. And we're going to be leaning heavily on Greatest 21 Days, which is an excellent website that is a deep dive into minor leaguers from 1990. So at Greatest 21 Days on Twitter, he did an interview with Paul at a Wendy's. <laughs> and so his great work, as well as the Sabre bio by Rory Costello, were great tools in the, the biography of Paul Nochi. That's fantastic. Looking forward to it. We will leave Paul Nochi for just a second as we get into some listener follow-up, because there were a lot of comments on Twitter, on our Facebook page about last week's episode on Dennis Eckersley. So David, why don't you help us with what's going on there? We talked about Dennis Eckersley. And you know, of course, when we talk about a guy who's in the Hall of Fame, we get more listeners, we get more Facebook comments. And people have strong feelings, particularly fans of other teams did not like the way that Eck sometimes talks about their team. And Eck has also made some kind of questionable criticisms of players, including Marcus Stroman. In a recent season, Eck kind of said that Stroman's celebration was tired. And there's a, a great video of George Brett talking about how Eckersley would point at people when he'd strike them out. And... And Eck would say, you know, what am I supposed to do? Wave and wish a guy's wife and kids well? So <laughs> Eck criticizing folks for overly celebrating is a little bit hypocritical. And Stroman called him out as such and called him a clown. The other strong comment on Facebook was an Oriole fan who used some flowery language to talk about Eck and then just wrote the words Orioles Nation. <laughs> and I actually had to look this up to figure out why Orioles fans were mad at Dennis Eckersley. And it turns out that during the 2020 season, the Red Sox were destroying the Baltimore Orioles. And X said, you know what would be a tough job? To be an announcer for the Baltimore Orioles. So it's some tough love there from Eck, but the Orioles lost over 100 games in 2018 and 2019. So I don't think that Eck is too far off. It's got to be a tough job. The Orioles are in a constant rebuilding process. Yeah, I think when you're losing, you should be ready for Eck to tear into you. And that's just what he's going to do. That's what he did his entire career. And George Brett should get over it. I think Eck should maybe tone it down a little bit and let let opposing players celebrate when they're doing something good. Everybody should acknowledge that trash talking is part of the game and it's really fun to give it. 
So dish it out and take it. We can all be grownups here. Well, I like that. And if you would like to trash talk at us on Facebook, that sounds great. Facebook.com slash 1988 Tops Podcast. That way you can find out the new shows of the week and discuss them. Go back and see previous shows and keep the discussion going or give us suggestions for future episodes. So that that closes up the follow-up. Now let's get back to Paul Nochi and we'll get to the front of the card of 542. Paul Nochi, this looks like Wrigley Field to me, David. Is it Wrigley Field? This looks like early season 1987 Wrigley Field to me. Yeah, Paul is on the third base side in the warm-up circle. He's getting ready to bat. He's he's posing for the camera like he's never taken a picture before. <laughs> like like he's a kid being told for his little league team, "Okay, Paul, stand here and look here. Paul has got a this is a very traditional Cubs uniform from the 80s. You've got the pinstripe white and blue pants and then the solid blue jersey with the the giant C on the chest. Uh, blue cap, blue bill, very simple C logo. I think good good uniform for the Cubs. Not the best, but but pretty good. Paul obviously has not been in the big leagues long because he's got a unibrow like I did in 1987. And when I got to college, I learned how to tweeze that. And I think Paul probably should have done the same. <laughs> not going near that unibrow. This was clearly Paul's first tops card. And uh, as we'll learn later, his only tops card. And he made his major league debut at age 27 this season, 1987. By the time this card came out, he was no longer in Major League Baseball. Oh, so sad. So sad. Let's find out what happened. Let's go to the back of the card. And we have Paul Nochi, second baseman and shortstop. He is 5'10", 175 in this card. He's a right-handed batter and thrower. Drafted by the Padres in 1981. Born in San Francisco in 1959 on December 16th. So he just had a birthday as we record this. And a home in San Mateo, California. This is a card where there's so many stats that there's no room for a fun fact. There's just many, many lines of minor league stats on here and one line of a major league stat. These 1988 Tops cards make no distinction between what level of baseball the player is at. They just say a city name, and then you got to figure out whose minor league system that is, what level they were at. So Paul's stats here are anywhere from short season A ball up to triple A, and then one 1987, 70 games for the Chicago Cubs. Well, we will get to all of it. So let's get to where he started, though. So he was born in San Francisco. Yeah, Paul's father was the son of Italian immigrants. He played minor league baseball, and he became the coach at a community college, the College of San Mateo. So that shows Paul living in San Mateo, California at this time. His family was there. And John Nochi coached at College of San Mateo for 30 years, and he was the winningest coach in California community college history. He had a bunch of players get drafted, including John Wetland and Bob McClure. John also coached in Italy in the Italian Baseball League. We've talked about Florence having a baseball team. John was the coach of Parma, and Paul grew up traveling around with with his dad, either in the community college circuit or also in Italy. And in high school, he played in Serie B of the Italian Baseball League. 
John Noce was also an assistant on the Italian Olympic team in 1984, 92, and 1996. So that kind of coaching pedigree helped Paul with his progress as a baseball player. Paul was drafted out of high school, but he was drafted in like the 25th round. He was only offered like 500 bucks a month, and he decided, I'd rather just go to college. I'm not going to be making any money. If I play well enough, I'll get drafted anyways, and maybe can make a little bit more money after a couple years of college. So that was the case. He went to college at Washington State University. Ryan Sandberg, who was from nearby Spokane, Washington, was also supposed to play for that Washington State baseball team. But because Sandberg decided to go pro, there was a spot open at shortstop, and Nochi was able to start as the shortstop. So Nochi plays a couple seasons at Washington State and then gets drafted again by the Padres in the 14th round in 1981. Starts out in Reno. He spent a few seasons with the Padres minor league system. Reno, Salem, Miami are all listed on the card here, and all of those are low levels in the Padres system. He finally gets a chance in double A, but it only came after he got traded from the Padres to the Cubs. So he goes to the Cubs in 1984 and uh, spends that season in Midland, which is the double A affiliate for the Cubs in 1984, has a pretty good season and earns a promotion up to Iowa triple A, but had a rough go of it in 85. And he reaches kind of a turning point where the Cubs ask him if he'll drop back down to double A. And he said at this point he was 26 years old, and he knew he didn't have many more shots to get to the majors, so he decided, I'll go, but I better be playing every day. So they gave him a shot. They said, go to double A, you'll play every day, and it actually worked out for him. He had a great season in 1986, gets on the radar of the Cubs general manager. He hit 307. He had 32 stolen bases and seven home runs, 56 RBIs at double A. And he also got married that year. So 1986 was a big year for Paul. Looking good. That 307 average is pretty good. Not a lot of power, a lot of strikeouts, 82 strikeouts in 114 games. When he gets to the majors, that ratio is also not very good. But he did well enough to get the eye of Dallas Green, who was the general manager of the Cubs. And he was a non-roster invitee to spring training in 87. And after spring training, as he left spring training, the general manager said, in talking about Paul and Luis Quinones, not, no relation to Ray Quinones, that, quote, they're going to be back in the majors in all probability before the year is over. So at this point, you have a 27-year-old Paul, spent a lot of time working his way through the minors, finally gets a taste of the majors, but starts the season in AAA, with some good promise going into the 1987 season. Yeah, it looks like 47 games at Iowa at the beginning of that season and seven home runs and a 269 average, so doing pretty well. 13 steals. Yes, and in late May, he gets called up when the Cubs are dealing with some injuries. So he's in the AAA manager's office and the phone rings, and it was the Cubs calling him up to the big leagues He had to drive from Des Moines, Iowa to Chicago. The manager asked him, do you want to play tonight in Des Moines? And he said, no way. Didn't want to risk it at all. Got in the car with his wife and they drove to Chicago. He said that he told his wife on the drive, whether I'm there one day or 10 years, I made it. 
So after this long trip through the miners and through some of these backwaters and single-A towns, he's finally making it into Chicago, and he was in the starting lineup on June 1st, 1987. Well, it is a storybook debut as he's in the starting lineup on June 1st and gets a hit. Yes, and Steve Stone, who was announcing the game, said something about he'll be telling his kids about that one day. And Paul said he still has this video of that first game. His first son was born in 1990, and he's told all of his kids that story. And when Stone says, you'll be telling your kids about this one day, he says he's talking about you there and watches this video. <laughs> he also said that he, he watched the ball and can remember every person that touched it before it went to the dugout because he wanted to keep his eye on it <laughs> to make sure that he that he got that one. So a big big debut for him and a, a big first month. He, he hit 304 in June, starting strong. And he also ends up getting maybe more playing time than he expected because both Ryan Sandberg and Shawan Dunstan were injured in June. So a lot of playing time in June and a very bizarre game that Paul Nochi has on June 26th, 1987, this was at Three Rivers Stadium playing against the Pirates. So he singles to lead off the third inning. And why don't you take it from there with the play-by-play? As we talked about, Paul has a pretty good stolen base record in the minors and was recognized as a pretty good base runner. So he is given the green light to steal second. The throw from Spanky Lavalier was good, except... Al Padrique dropped the ball, an error on the shortstop, but the official scorekeeper marked it as caught stealing, but he's safe on second. Within that same inning, Nochi attempts to steal third and gets thrown out this time. So he was thrown out two times in the same inning, caught stealing twice. It was at that point just the third time that that had happened in Major League history. It has now happened 12 times at this point. Yeah, I think he had five stolen bases and three times caught stealing in 1987. <laughs> oh, man. You know, he's taking every chance he can get. Taking every chance he can get swinging the bat, too, David. Swinging, swinging away. And sometimes he connected. He had a, a pretty good power surge in July. He hit three home runs in the same week. And those were the only three home runs he hit in the majors. The first was on July 3rd. The second was on July 7th, and something interesting happened in that game as well. And so Paul was part of the impetus for a brawl. Yes. We don't have brawl music, but we should get some. And so on, on July 7th, there's a brawl versus the Padres. And you have Eric Shaw, when we get to his episode, I'm not... Super looking forward to it. A lot of substance abuse issues and some other, let's say, problematic elements with Eric Shaw. But he gave up three home runs in the first three innings. One to uh, Dave Martinez, who his 1988 tops card, he looks like John Stamos. Then he gave up a home run to Andre Dawson. And then he gave up the second home run of Paul Noche's career. Two batters later, Dawson comes back to the plate. And maybe we can let Harry Carey take this one away with some audio. Whoa! Oh, hit by a pitch ball. Oh, and he, he's lying. Has a move. Now he's... Oh, they're going after him. Such a good show. And 
Shao goes up and in, way in, and way up, hits Dawson in the face, and there's a huge brawl. And Dawson, I forget how big he was. He's he's a big man. And so then he gets up from being on the ground for three minutes and they've checked him out. And he's like, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not hurt too bad. So he gets up and starts looking for Shao to go like track him down and fight him. The video will be in the show notes. Shao retreats to the dugout. Later in that game, Nochi hit a foul ball that went into the Padres dugout and the crowd cheered for him. So, <laughs> so a big game all around for him. The last of those three homers then was July 9th, and he drove in five runs against the Dodgers that day. But it looks like the start of the decline. Yes, that was the last time that Paul was over 300 for the season. In August, Dunstan came back from injury, and Paul was sent back to AAA. He was called back up in September, but after that July 9th game, he hit 130 for the remainder of that season. So that brought his average down to 228, as we see on the card here. I wonder if he was injured in the brawl in any way. It seems like there were, it was tied to that. Well, luckily, he's got such a good rapport with the general manager. You know, he got called up. You know, the GM had really wanted him to be a part of the team going forward. Look, looks like things are going to be looking up for, for young Paul here. Yeah, unfortunately, that Cubs team was not good, finished in last place, and Dallas Green got fired at the end of the 87 uh, season. Uh-oh. And that kind of sealed Paul's fate going into 1988. His playing time in Iowa decreased. The Cubs had other backup options. And Paul knew he didn't really have a spot on the Cubs. It must have been tough for a guy knowing that the middle of that infield had Dunstan and Sandberg playing in the two positions that you're best at. And he asked for a trade. So he was sent to Montreal. Well, Montreal's AAA team. And he won a triple-A championship. And Whoa. He, he was proud of that, but he didn't get called up to the pros again until 1990 when he had signed with the Reds. And this brings us to another Paul Noche card, maybe his best card. I'm pulling that up here, David, and this will be in the show notes as well. This is a card for Paul Noche as part of the Nashville Sounds. This has been autographed, the card on this website. And this website is Greatest 21 Days that I referenced earlier. This is like one of my favorite things. It's all of these cards from the 1990 CMC baseball card set. So all of these AAA cards. This website tries to tell all of their stories. And it, I think it's a, a great tool for us here at the 1988 Tops podcast because a lot of these guys on these cards end up back in the minors by 1990. But just a, this is one of my favorite things. Well, to finish the description of this card itself, Paul Noche had seen a famous card by Keith Comstock, where Keith Comstock was posing, but posing as if he was getting hit in the groin by a baseball. And Paul saw that and he thought, hey, that's sad. That looks fun to me. And so this picture is of him turning to avoid a pitch that is hitting him square in the buttocks. Yes. Paul said he got hit by pitches a lot, so he thought it would be amusing to depict that. He sewed the stitching of the ball to his pants. He told the photographer, okay, we'll, we'll take one like this. And the photographer said, okay, but we're going to do a normal one too. So the photographer was going to come back around to him for a second, more traditional picture. And Paul took this one picture with the ball stuck to his butt. And then he left. 
and he knew <laughs> the photographer was not coming back, so they would have one picture of him, and they would have to use it. <laughs> good job, Paul. That's a good way to trick him. This is a great card. The The design on the front leaves a little to be desired, but I do love the pose. We got to love that. And so this is a, at AAA for, in the Reds organization. Paul did well enough in 1990 at AAA to get called up to the Reds. So his second trip up to the majors, he gets to play for the team that goes on to be the world champs, the 1990 Cincinnati Reds. And on May 17th, he comes in in the ninth inning. The Reds are down 3-0. There's a man on base. Paul comes in as a pinch hitter and gets a single. And that brings the tying run to the plate. But then the cards brought in Lee Smith and closed out the game. Oh. Two days later, Paul got sent back to AAA. Mm. So his line for 1990 is one game, one at bat, one hit. So perfect 1,000 batting average. Credit to another Twitter user, at shortstops9. That Twitter user talks about players who you remember for one team but had very short stints. And, for example, we have a guy named Jamie Quirk, who is mostly remembered for playing for the Royals. But in 1984, he played one game for the Cleveland Indians. He hit one home run in his one at bat. So that was the entire line for his whole season. So guys who go... 1,000 batting average in their one game in a season are members of the Jamie Quirk Club. And Paul's 1990 is a Jamie Quirk Club season. Fantastic. Well, those 1990 Reds won the World Series. Did did Paul get a ring? We talked about this with Ozzie Virgil. Remember, he was mad because he didn't get a ring when he played one game for the Phillies in 1980. Paul is not upset about it. He did not get a ring. He said he, he maybe got a bonus of $500 but no ring. But he also said that he had an option that he could petition for one if he paid for it out of his own pocket. And as of 2017, he had not done so, but he said he might for the purposes of having it around as a recruiting tool. You know, if you guys see a World Series ring, they might be more likely to come want to play for you. Those are expensive rings, more valuable as a gift than as a a purchase, I think. Yes. So if any... Wealthy 1988 Tops listeners want to buy Paul Nochi as uh, Cincinnati Reds 1990 ring. Maybe that's, that'd be nice. So that wraps up his playing career. We've alluded to him being a coach already. So where does he get started with that? He was an infield instructor for the Pirates. And then in 1993, started managing the baseball team at Hillsdale College in Michigan, a small liberal arts school. And, and he stayed there for 20 years. From 1993 to 2013, he stepped down from that managing position, and he basically said he wasn't winning enough games. So (laughs) I think it was a mutual decision to leave the team. But he then became a scout in the Major League system and then a manager in the United Shore Professional Baseball League, which is an independent league in the Detroit metro area. And he is currently the manager of the Eastside Diamond Hoppers. That is a, that's a great name. This league is made up of undrafted college players who are kind of looking for a shot at the major leagues. Go to this four-team league that's all in the Detroit metro area and maybe catch on with a major league team, catch on with one of the minor league systems. And he's been doing that for the last few years. 2020 is a little bit of a weird one, but I think that the league has been relatively successful. 
in getting guys placed with major league organizations, or at least their minor league affiliates. That's great. And I guess that as a coach, as a recruiter, and as someone who's looking to scout talent, he'd be a good person to try to find it, not only as a coach for so long, but as someone who spent a lot of time in the minor leagues and was trying to work really hard to to make it and get up and also saw people getting their breaks and getting their chances would be able to help people find out what it takes to make it there. Yes, and I think that he could probably use his own story to talk about taking your chances, taking your opportunities as they come. And Paul had to take some risks to maybe get some playing time, but he has some cherished memories of playing one summer at Wrigley Field. And not a lot of guys get to say that they were the starting shortstop, starting second baseman for the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field. But he's taken that experience, uses it to teach some college and young pro players and to carry on his own father's legacy of coaching. Paul was the third of five sons. Four of those sons went on to coach baseball. One of his nieces is also in the baseball world, working at Cal Poly as director of baseball operations, which seems like a really great family legacy of baseball coaching and just baseball people in the Nochi family. I'll tell you what, for someone who spent who only spent 70 games in the majors in 1987 and then one more game in 1990, there's a lot to learn about Paul Nochi. And he's made quite an impact on baseball overall, even if his time in the majors was pretty short. So I sure learned a lot more than I thought I would learn about Paul Nochi. Me too. I think we expected to do a short episode as it's coming out of Christmas and we just did 24 seasons worth of Dennis Eckersley. I thought this would be a palate cleanser. But Paul had an interesting story, and some folks have done some interesting work researching him, and and we're really thankful for that. Absolutely. And as this is the last episode of 2020, we first want to thank Brian Salgado for the suggestion for uh, this card. I want to thank everyone that's listened this year and for all the folks online in any of the number of ways that we connect with you all for boosting the show, for sharing it, for giving any kind of feedback. This has been a really fun thing for us to do this year. We have a lot of cards left to go. It's still more than 700, I believe. So we're not going anywhere. Matt, also thank you for pushing this along and and making this this project possible. And thanks to friend of the show, Brian, for always joining us with RBI Baseball Chat. And I've had some really great interactions with folks on Facebook and Twitter and met a lot of people online. And it's kind of opened up a, a great, happy little space in an otherwise weird 2020. No doubt about it. And David, thank you. The, the dedication, the research, and the attention to the strangest detail. This show, we've found truly the combination of your greatest talents and the world's greatest needs have come together <laughs> in, in, in this podcast. It's been a delight and we will keep it going. Now that Christmas is over, Santa's list is empty. And so we need your suggestions to put on the list. So you can reach us on Twitter at tops1988. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 1988 Tops Podcast. You can also email us, 1988topspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. Have a great new year, and we will see you in 2021.